0: Good morning, Maple Grove. Uh, I want to start off this morning by reading some words that are God-breathed. I'm talking about words breathed by the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, the God who holds oceans in the palm of his hands, the God who, who breathes out stars, the God who spreads out all the galaxies like a canopy, the God who parts seas, the God who slays giants, the God who tears down walls, the God who sets captives free. And the God who at this very moment, according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, is surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million, angels. Which is the, the population of all the states on the East Coast. Understand, as we sit in this room, 100 million angels are surrounding the Lamb as He sits on the throne. And they're all singing the same song. You're worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Yes, brothers and sisters, that is who breathe the words that we're about to hear this morning. And I thought I would give a little bit of context about whose presence we're in and whose words we're about to hear. Uh, like maybe... It's not a bad idea for us to fully lean into his words today and pay attention. Amen? He's worthy. And here's some words that are going to set up our conversation for this morning. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And David wrote these words during a time when he found himself wandering in the wilderness of Judea. Maybe you can relate. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods, with the singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And then the prophet Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before God the Son put on flesh and invaded this planet. Isaiah 55: "Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. And Jesus said in John chapter four speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and coming here and coming here and coming here here to draw water. And Jesus said in John six, verse thirty-five, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Heavenly Father, hopefully we're coming into your presence humbly. Lord, you're surrounded right now by one hundred million angels. And they're crying out that you're worthy. And God, you're worthy of our time, you're worthy of our attention, you're worthy of our life. God, the breath we have in our body is there because of you. And God, we're grateful that you've given us another day to live, another day to see you, to see your creation, another day to be with those who we love and care about. God, forgive us for taking for granted all the blessings, God, the food in our pantry, Lord, the water in our faucet, the roof over our heads. And God, I pray for those in our world, God, who are struggling and suffering right now, for all the conflict in Ukraine and around the world where people are suffering, God, who would love the opportunity, Lord, to come and sit in the building and hear about you and worship you. God, you've been so good to us. And God, I just pray that you would help us to lean into your truth today because, God, we do live in a dry and parched land and there is not a whole lot of water anywhere. And God, I just pray for those who are hungry and thirsty that they may find satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to another week in our series on the gospel of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. And we're currently in the opening verses of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon of the Mount preached by the greatest preacher who ever walked the planet, Jesus. And specifically, we're unpacking what are known as the Beatitudes, the Jesus radical, upside-down, counterintuitive manifesto about the path to a kingdom life, the path to a blessed life. And listen... It's not the path that we would expect it, and it's not the path that many people are on. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the king of heaven. Blessed are those who who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this morning, the upside-down, counterintuitive pathway to a blessed life that we're going to unpack is... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Uh, Question. How satisfied and fulfilling are you finding your life right now? Uh, Question. Are, are, Are you spending your money on what is not bread and laboring for what does not satisfy? Do you keep going again and again and again to draw water from what does not satisfy? Do you find yourself in a dry and parched land where there is no water? Like, like on a scale of 1 to 10, like a 1 being, I don't even know if I want to get out of bed in the morning, and a 10 being, I don't even want to go to bed because my life is so stinking good, I don't want to miss anything. Alright? 1 to 10, what's your number? And be honest, right? Okay? Raise your hand if you would like your number to be higher, whatever it is okay and if you if your goal is a dissatisfied life, you're welcome to leave right now, right because that's not what we're talking about if you, you know what I, I just want to be miserable and unsatisfied. This is not the place for you this morning all right and, and and would you like your satisfaction to be not so fleeting, not so temporary, not so elusive now I'm confident that that God has a word for everyone who is in this room and who would have been watching online if our internet was not down all right but before we dive into our conversation i need to take a quick sidebar that's what lawyers do right i'm not a lawyer but i hear they do that and a few weeks back on march the 7th on a monday i had some coffee with a with the brother at the daily grind it's right there you should go there right starbucks has enough money go to the daily grind local businesses support them and uh and he said something to me that, to be honest, I don't know if anyone from church has ever said to me. He said, Steve, you don't talk about giving enough. And I really couldn't argue because it's been several years since I had a series on giving, uh, maybe a year since it's been a topic of a sermon. And interesting, later that week in our Bible reading program that we're reading, we were reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And as I read that, I saw some things about giving that I'd never seen before. And so I plan on doing a sidebar on the very next Sunday, March 13th. But but as I wrapped up my first sermon in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit, I was like, hey, this is some important stuff. I, I, I need to put off that sidebar for another week. And the next week, as I worked on my Blessed are those who mourn, I said, this is so important. I need to push that off another week. And then last week, as I was working on my message for Blessed of the Meek, I said, this is so important, I need to push it off another week. And then this week, I was like, this is so important, I need to push it every week, but I'm not going to, right? And because, you know, that after I met with him, like, and I read his verses, I, I scribbled this down on a piece of paper, and it's been in my binder, I had to run back and get it, I left it on my desk, it's been in my binder for like three weeks. And so, I want to share briefly about what I wrote on a piece of paper. Right, um, And Paul's writing to them, the church in Corinth, about the importance of their giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, he says this. Uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace granted to the churches in Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. And I was like, whoa, let me see if I can... Write out an equation for this, right? So, severe affliction plus deep poverty equals abundance of joy and wealth of generosity. That's some crazy stuff, isn't it? He says, I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us, let us give, let us give, pass the plate again and again, right? Begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints, And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And then in chapter 9, Paul encourages them, hey, you know, you make this promise about giving, uh, you really should keep that promise. And he tells them in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do should give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work, and then Paul goes on to say in that chapter nine that that when they give as they promise that they 'll provide for the needs of many people they 'll prove that their faith is genuine. And when they give, it'll bring many thanks and glory to God. And then Paul says this. He says that this generosity that they were displaying is all because of the surpassing grace of God that is in them. And then he concludes by saying this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so what is that indescribable gift? I always used to think it was, you know, Jesus, all right? You know, or grace, which are definitely indescribable gifts. But in the context, the indescribable gift seems to be the grace of God in us that results in this powerful act of generosity, even in extreme poverty. Thanks be to God for the grace of God in us that moves us to give according to our ability and beyond our ability. Amen? And so here's the deal. You're giving to his church matters. And I understand everybody gives a percentage of their income. Somewhere, somewhere between 0% and 100%, right? Question, is the percentage that you're giving to his church generous? How do you know? I would encourage you to pray a prayer that a guy named... Um, Bo Chansey, I first heard talk about it, is this prayer right here. Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. All right? Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And Jesus said in a certain amount, which we'll look at later on, who knows what week that'll be, for where your treasure is. Wrong pocket, All right? Right? You show people your calendar, you show people your wallet, that's what's important to you, right? Right? And hopefully church is more important than lunch after church, right? You know, amen? Was that fun? Amen, right, you like that, right? Amen. Amen. And again, important stuff, right? And and, uh, I'm sorry for not talking about it enough, because it's really important for you to give. God loves a cheerful giver, right? And we all give together. We can do great things for God. Important stuff. And so is what we're talking about this morning, beatitude number four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Being hungry and thirsty is a blessing, right? Again, it doesn't seem to add up, does it? And I'm sure that many of those standing on the hillside that day had known hunger and thirst many times in their lives. And maybe some were even hungry as Jesus spoke. And I'm sure that they'd not see that being hungry and thirsty as something to be happy about. I'm so hungry and I'm so thirsty, I'm so blessed, right? No. And and, and the words that Jesus used for hunger and thirst are in the... In present tenses, so they describe a continuing, ongoing, constant longing. Blessed are those who are hungering. Blessed are those who are thirsting. And Jesus puts the two words together, hunger and thirst, to emphasize the extreme nature of this need and desire. Now, it's hard for us to understand the full impact of what Jesus is saying. So we need to put ourselves in their shoes. What's not easy for us to do because... Today, almost none of us have known real hunger and real thirst, right? In fact, I was trying to think of an example of when I was extremely hungry and thirsty and desperate as an example, but guess what? I couldn't find one. <laughs> you see, my life, and I would venture many years as well, would be described by what David said in Psalm 37, verse 25. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen righteousness forsaking or their children I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for food. See, God has been so good to me. Uh, My kids have never had to beg for food. Uh, My kids have never had to wonder where they're going to have a bed to sleep in, a roof over their head, if they're going to have food in the pantry, right? Never had to worry about that. You know, amen The first world living, right? Right? He's been good to us. Yeah, but understand, Jesus' contemporaries in the ancient world, they knew hunger. Wages were low if they existed at all. Unless you were wealthy, many times you, you, you flat out starved. And in a desert country where the sun was hot and scorching and the sand and windstorms were frequent, thirst was a constant companion and water was a precious treasure. Therefore, when they heard the word hunger, it meant starvation. Matter of fact, it's the same word for hunger that's used in Matthew 4. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was... Hungry. He was hungry. And the word thirst brought to the mind someone who would soon die without water. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 9, verse 28. When Jesus, after being beaten, after hanging on a cross for six hours in the hot Judean sun, as his broken body bled onto the sand, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And what I'm trying to say Is that these words for hunger and thirst represent a powerful, serious, passionate drive that must be satisfied. It's not the hunger we feel when our grub hub is five minutes late, right? Or, man, I'm starving. I haven't eaten in two days. Two two hours, rather. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? For righteousness. What does that even mean? Like, how do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? And how can we ever... How are we supposed to do it, right? If we don't know what it means, if we don't know what it means, how will we ever be satisfied? And we're going to answer those questions a little later on because they're important questions. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The word for satisfied is the Greek word, cortazo. I like to say, cortazo, right? Italian, that's what they say, cortazo, right? And it means to be fattened up, right? It was commonly used for the feeding and fattening up of cattle, right? So if you can picture a well-fed, filled up, hefty, happy cow, pigging out, just grazing in the meadow with all the food at once, that's a picture of being satisfied. It was a word that Jesus used in Matthew 14 where it says, they all ate and were satisfied with 12 baskets left over. Jesus used this word in Mark 8 when he says, let the little children eat and have all they want. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And and here's what I know. Like, these have been my observation over the years. People are hungry. People are thirsty. And countless people are unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And tragically, I think the lives of many people in our world today, and even in the church... Could be summarized by a song I heard on June 17th, 1979, as I drove from Baltimore, Maryland to Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. And unfortunately, we had a karaoke set up for you, but internet's down, and I'm not going to solo it today. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but a guy named Mick, last name Jagger, sang this song about I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try. I can't get no, I'm driving, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. I had the karaoke. We're going to do it together. It was, it was so incredible and amazing. And, and I just don't know what happened, right? But 50 plus years later, and they still can't get no satisfaction. And that's the way life is sometimes, isn't it? We try and we try and we try, and we're still empty and we're still unfulfilled. And listen, if, if your satisfaction level is kind of low, the problem isn't God. You see, God's greatest desire it's actually for us to be satisfied. He said in John 10, verse 10, he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Okay, so think this through. So, so we all, every one of us, want to be filled and satisfied, and God wants us to be filled and satisfied. What gives? <laughs> What's the problem? Why can't we get no satisfaction? And the reason It's because we try to satisfy our hunger and thirst with the wrong things. Things that will never fully, ultimately, ongoingly, actually a word, I thought I made it up, was very disappointed. I looked it up this morning. Ongoingly is a word. I thought I'd make that one up, all right? And it's not a new phenomenon for God's people. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah wrote about this very thing in the second chapter of his book. Has a nation ever... Changed its gods. Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. Sin number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. Sin number two, they dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. I mean... What thirsty person would choose a broken cistern to drink from rather than a pure running stream? Like seriously, what would you choose? I don't know about you, I'm going for the spring of living water. It'd be crazy not to. It'd be crazy to choose a broken cistern, a broken well that can't hold water. Yet, people do, we do, I do, you do all the time. And there's basically, I think there's three common broken cisterns that many people look to for life and satisfaction. One is relationships. See, many people think if they, if they can just find the right relationship, then their life will finally be satisfying and fulfilling. Do you know anyone like that? Have you been anyone like that? Are you anyone like that right now? And they search and search for Mr. or Mrs. Wright... And when they finally have found him, <laughs> that's funny, uh, and when they, finally have, when they finally have found him or her, they get together and they're like, it's so fulfilling, it's so wonderful, everything's great. But after a while they discover not only is their partner good at filling their cup, they're also good at poking holes in their cup and draining anything out of them, Right? And I won't say, have you say amen because you may get in trouble when you go home, right? But that's the truth. I can fill and I can poke holes in my wife's cup. And she's nodding her head. She agrees. And I won't say anymore. And, and they, well, if it's not a spouse, maybe it's kids, right? If I just have a child, right? And, and they help. But let me tell you, children can also poke holes and drain her cup. Parents can I get an amen? amen. And guess what, parents? We're pretty good at poking holes in our kids' cup and draining their cup. Can they get an amen? Alright. And friends, right? They're good. We love friends. We should have friends, but guess what? Sometimes they let you down, right? Sometimes they disappoint us. And here's the problem is, see, see when you're looking for life from another person, guess what? They're looking for life from you. And sometimes a relationship is like two giant sponges that are just soaking up the life from each other. Why do we get hurt? Why do we get angry? and Frustrated with other people? If we look beneath the surface emotions of anger, it's because we're expecting life from someone and they are not cooperating very well, right? That, that's what the deal is. Now, don't misunderstand me. Relationships are awesome. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Our, our second core value is that, our third core value, rather, is we do life together. We believe in community, authentic community, right? Nevertheless, all relationships have their satisfaction limit, Right? I only go so far. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Broken sister number two is possessions. If I just had more stuff, had more money. Had me a Tesla. Had me that vacation home on the beach. If I just had more stuff, I'd be satisfied. I get it. I mean, I've been there and bought the t-shirt more than once, right? I remember one time, as silly as it sounds, in Bible college, where I, was, I was like, if we just had a minivan like everyone else did for our kids, life would be great. Got a Chevy Astro, it wasn't so great, right? <laughs> this is, for like a day, this is so awesome. Not really. You see, possessions only give us temporary satisfaction, right? You ever gone to a garage sale? <laughs> when they bought that, this is so awesome. This, okay, $5, $2, just get it out of here, right? And we're trading in that car. We're putting up a for sale sign because this house is going to be the house. This is my forever home. And we build bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns, right? Like the guy in Luke 12. And over the years, I, I've known people who've had a lot of stuff and were not very satisfied. I know people... You know, who've had very little, who lived in a bad part of town, whose home had bars on their windows, (laughs) and every time you were around Sherita Olson on Social Security, she just leaked joy and contentment and and happiness. And let me tell you, when you were around Sherita Olson, you could not help from getting wet. Amen? Well, if it's not relationships and things, maybe it's applause and accomplishments, If I could just win that award, receive that plaque, earn that degree, get that recognition, score that touchdown, hit that home run, win that race, build that business, get that promotion, go to that college, climb that ladder, achieve that fame, hear that applause, have that success, success, then my life will be satisfying. You ever thought that way? I have, not I still struggle with it. Even today, this day, right? If I just had a more successful ministry, right, if I had to go to three services every Sunday, then you know what? Then my life, and man, that, that, that's the devil's, that's his thorn that he pokes me with all the time. You know what? I got a feeling I'd feel the same way whether I had 20,000 in this room. That'd be, well, that'd be really tight in here, piled up to the ceiling. But you hear what I'm saying, right? I, I, I get it, right? If I just had that then, no, I don't think so. Because when the plow stops and the plaque gets dusty, We find that all the success and achievements we attain did not deliver. Everyone who drinks this water, the water of looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in relationships, possessions, or accomplishments, will be thirsty again. Get it? It's true. But we keep going back, don't we? Right? I refuse to believe I'm the only messed up person in this room, all right? I just refuse to believe it. And I'm not saying that relationships or possessions or applause or accomplishments are wrong. They can be very beneficial and very good. But what is wrong is and what is wrong and true satisfaction eluding is to think that they're going to give you life. And satisfy the thirst of your heart because they just cannot deliver that. Amen. They just can't. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And Jesus has a better offer on the table. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They will be wed- well-fed. They will be fattened up with a bunch of leftovers. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. That nice picture of it, of a mountain here. If I find myself... Desire, which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Amen, right? It's like, man, nothing seems to satisfy me, not fully and not for long. We're made for another world. Jesus actually said his kingdom's not of this world. He told that to Pilate, right? And listen, we're in a kingdom right now. And what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this radical upside-down manifesto about what life in His kingdom is about, is most definitely not of this world, right? Being poor in spirit, embracing your brokenness and asking for help, allowing your strength and power to be under control of God for the benefit of others in God's glory, mourning for our sin, our loss, and for this lost world. Understand, these let-be-that attitudes are most definitely not of this world. And that's the kind of church we want to be. And that's the kind of church with the Holy Spirit that we can become. I, I like this. I, I found this on someone's Facebook, and I, I grabbed it the other day. There's this picture right here. I love this. I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. Amen? Right? That's the kind of church we want to be. Because we're messed up. I'm so messed up, man. We don't have time to talk about how messed up I am and all the struggles I have. And all the times I battle with discouragement and depression and struggles, right? Yeah, we want to be a church that you know what? We love messed up people because we know someone who can unmess them up. Amen. And and and, and here and here's the final point in your notes and and and, and, and I'm gonna do this. Boom, right? My wife gets scary when I do that, right? I got like lots of pages of notes and I'm looking at my clock here and they're going to ring the gong and it's going to be over and stuff like that. Okay, so I really struggled all week in a good way, right? Like, like I don't know about you, but I'm tired, I'm tired of being thirsty. It's like, I feel like, okay, I'm jumping through all the right hoops, right? I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I, I'm in church, I gave my life to ministry, i Yada, yada, yet sometimes I feel, I don't feel satisfied. Like, okay, what, what gives? What's wrong? And what, what does it mean? Because Jesus said, if I actually hunger and thirst for that, if I thirst for that, like a deer panting for strings of water, that I will be satisfied, right? And so I was like, okay, what does that even mean? And, 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 and here's kind of what I came up with. I was still working on it like two minutes ago, right? You know, and, and here is where I'm at so far on this, right? I, I kind of see it as like a, a three-phase deal right? Uh, You know, first, you know, we have to hunger and thirst to be right with God, right? You know, that we're like, hey, you know what? My sin is separated from God, and I want to be right with God. It's knowing that there's this barrier between us and God, and that only God can remove that barrier. God, I want to be right with you, and only you can make me right with you. It's not by performance. It's not by my effort. It's solely by your grace. God, I hunger for that, I hunger for that, right? And, and and that applies to someone who's never surrendered and us who've already surrendered, right? Because sometimes sometimes I, I, I think, we think to be right in God's eyes is by what we do. No, I hunger to be right with God through his grace, right? So I think that's one of the first hunger. That's where it starts, right? And, and, and then the next thing that, that's so important, because some people stop there. Hey, I'm saved. Everything is awesome. I'm not going to go to hell. Cool, right? And, and then the next thing is, We hunger and thirst to be with God, right? That we're like, hey, I want to know him. I want to have a personal relationship with him, right? And, and, And so Jesus said in the garden, he said, this is eternal life. And eternal life is not just always, it's not just, you know, length of quantity. It is also quality. See, eternal life is this fulfilled life, this satisfied life, this real life that we have in Jesus. He says, this is eternal life that, Father, that they know you and that they know me, right? And, and, And so, see, when we hunger and thirst for God, we, see, to be filled by God, we have to be hungry for God. there's a lot of things in life get that can thrill us but only God can fill us, right? And, and, and so we come hungry for God like a deer panting for streams of water. God, I want to know you. I want to know what you're about. I want to have a relationship with you, right? And see, some people just stop. I'm saved and they don't really care about really knowing Jesus intimately. And, 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 and so you want to know God. You read your Bible and these are all the hoops you go through to help you, put you in a place where you can know God. And this next one is kind of that it's this, so, so hunger and thirst for righteousness is a, a hunger and thirst to be right with God through his grace, to be with God, to know him, not just know about him, but to know him, right? Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, personal, intimate knowledge. And, 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 but, but God doesn't want to stop there. He doesn't want just you to be right with him. He doesn't want you just to know him. He wants you to be like him. To be like him. Matter of fact, just down the road from blessed are those who hunger and thirst is Jesus looks at these people, messed up people like you and me. Tax collectors, a bunch of messed up people. And he says, you are the light of the world. Who else is called light? Jesus, right? He, see, he, 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 wants us to be, he wants us to be like him. And and, uh, Jesus used the word righteousness several times in Sermon on the Mount. Um, In in our text here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Down the road at chapter 5, verse 10, where he says, blessed are you who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, right? He he uses it in, in, in Matthew 6.1 when he says hey be careful don't don't do your righteous deeds in front of people so they see you and think oh you're awesome and post your picture on their Facebook right he says don't do that and and then in in Matthew 6.33 when Jesus says this he says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you okay and then he also says and I left this one out because I think it's a really important one it's Matthew 5 verse 20 just down the road from our, this beatitude, he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm like, okay. And see, they weren't all bad, right? I mean, these guys read the Bible, memorized scripture. They prayed all the time right? And they never missed a synagogue service. They brought their 10% to the temple. They served, right, in their community, right? You know, they checked all the boxes. But you know what those boxes can be? Another cistern. See, religion and rule keeping can just be another cistern that can't hold water. You hear what I'm saying? And and, and I think some of us could be there. That, that we're like, man, I'm jumping through all these hoops. I'm doing all this right stuff, but for some reason, I don't feel satisfied like I should. i got to read this one quote here. I know I'm all over the place. For my slide people, Just you just give up because that's all you can do um, at this point. But listen to this quote. Seriously, I'm going to finish this up. Um, but this is so important because God wants you to be fulfilled and satisfied. Uh, deep and lasting satisfaction for our souls comes not from the delights of the world, nor from a merely religious or vertical relationship with God. Satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know Him in the struggle to be like Him in the world. <laughs> satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know Him in the struggle to be like Him in the world. Unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. See, it's not just about checking boxes. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Check out what Jesus said to these same guys in Matthew 23. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spice, mint, dill, and cumin. Like, you're such rule keepers that you're going to make sure that you're tithing the exact amount of some small spices. I'm going to obey those rules, but I'm not going to heal the guy on the Sabbath. That's really messed up to do that. He says, but you neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see, we are like God when we desire to see his justice happen in the world, right? And when we desire to dispense mercy into this world, when we desire to display his faithfulness to the world, unless your righteousness exceeds out of the Pharisees, and pretty much a lot of the rest of the government is about that exceeding righteousness, right? See, it's not just about not killing someone. It's about not being angry. It's not just about committing adultery. It's about not lusting after someone. It's not about just loving your neighbor. It's about loving your enemy. It's not about, hey, you know, I can get a divorce because there's this loophole in the Old Testament. No, it's about fighting for the covenant commitment of marriage that you made. It's about turning the other cheek. It's not about just keeping our oaths. It's about becoming the kind of people where people will believe us whether we make an oath or not. Satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know Him in the struggle to be like Him. And it's a struggle to be like Him. And I'll tell you, if you're struggling, that's a good sign. If you're not struggling, you're like, hey, you know what? I got this all figured out. And my bless your Jesus is all just blissful. It's in the struggle to be like Him. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And even the next four Beatitudes after hunger and thirst, I think paint a portrait of what it looks like to be like God in the world. Blessed are the merciful. Do you think mercy is needed in the world, right? Absolutely. People need to be treated with mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that are helping people make peace with God and make peace with each other. People want to see justice abound. Blessed are the pure in heart. And and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Man, what Jesus sure was. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they want to make the world a better place. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know him and the struggle to be like him in the world. Hunger and thirst for righteousness is about being right with God, being with God, and being like God. And this leads to being satisfied. When we come to God seeking the things, when we come to God, when we come to God, seeking the things of God, we'll be filled by God. When we come to God, seeking the things of God, we'll be filled by God. When we come to God, seeking the things of God, we'll be filled up by God. Amen? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes you've got to taste and see, right? You know? A friend of mine, recently I was talking to him, he, they did something with their kids when their kids were little. I never heard it before. Mine was just like, hey, do it, eat it. That's how I grew up. But they had the, the no thank you bite. And yet, whoever heard of the no thank you bite? Okay. Well, they had like every food item they had to try. And if they didn't like it, they could say no thank you. But they had to take a, a no thank you bite. And like nutritionists say that it takes you maybe 10, 20, 30 times. It depends on who you're talking to. But a lot of time for you to acquire a different taste right i didn't like this right like if you had a choice you know kale or cupcake right i mean it's like i want the cupcake right you may have to take a while to develop a acquire a a, a taste for kale right because it's it's hard not to eat the wrong things and and like i take my dogs for walks and one of my dogs has a habit and i have to yell to my dog stop eating poop right (laughs) stop eating poop right stop stop it, stop it, you know, and I have to run and chase them, stop eating poop. I just don't get it. We got food at home. Stop eating poop, right? Turn to the person, you're right, left, and tell them, stop eating poop. Stop eating poop, right? Stop eating poop. Stop thinking that the wrong things are going to satisfy you. That is Again, it's never too late to change your diet. Right? Never too late. The hunger and thirst for righteousness. The hunger and thirst to be right with God. To be hunger and thirst to be with God. And the hunger and thirst to be like God in this world that he loves so very much. Father God, we love you. Hey God. We need you. Thank you for your patience with us. Because, God, I'm like my dogs in the back 40 of the church, Lord. I run around and decide I'm going to eat poop. That I'm going to eat things and think they're going to satisfy me and they don't. And I wonder why. And yet, God, you prepared a banquet for me. You prepared this feast that I can eat and be satisfied and Never hunger or thirst again. And God, I, I pray this morning you'll be with us. And I pray for those who need to hunger to be right with you. Maybe it's the first time, God, they need to make a decision. Or, or, or maybe they're thinking being right with you is, is about earning and performance. It's not. And God, I pray for those who need to be hungry, God. They never develop the taste, God. I pray they'll taste and see that prayer is good and taste and see that the word is good and taste and see that being in church and community is good. And God, I I pray for us and for myself especially, God, who feel like, man, I'm checking all these boxes, God. Where's the satisfaction, God? God, help me to strive and struggle to be like you in this world. To love justice and and mercy, and strive for peace and purity of heart. God, help us to be hungry for you. In Jesus' name.